So Reed, you've recently been on a road trip for your vacation, and I've been making some road trips, and a lot. Of, I think a lot of Americans are making road trips. One of the best things I like about road trips are roadside attractions. The roadside attractions that I really like are big statues or you know interesting buildings or interesting places. Here in Minnesota, the big big one. There's a couple of big ones. There's the Spam Museum. There's also the Jolly Green Giant statue. My favorite one in Texas is if you go out in what pretty far west Texas to the town of Marfa, or just on the interstate, like you can't see anything in either any direction, uh, is a Prada store. Technically, it's an artist. I mean, it's a sculpture for was technically what they call it, but it looks like a Prada store. What would be the Touchpoint roadside attraction? Would it be a microphone in the subway there at Mayo or something like that? Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode number 232. I'm Reed Smith. That's Chris Boyer. I'm planning now a trip to Marfa, Texas, Reed. You got me thinking about like uh, getting out there to see this thing in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Good to be here today, though. 232. Same thing, both directions. Is that something in numbers? It's a, a number palindrome. Is that a thing? A number palindrome? <laughs> Of course, it happens a lot, you know, versus words. But in any case, it's neither here nor there. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for uh, coming back for another episode if you're a repeat customer. And if this is your first time, welcome. So quick plug, this is Touchpoint the Podcast. We are a part of Touchpoint Media, which is a network of shows, uh, about 20 of them, in fact. And you can find out more certainly about the episode you're listening to show you're listening to and the network, including all the other shows and episodes and show host over at touchpoint.health. That's touchpoint.health. You can browse over, spend a few minutes and we encourage you to rate, review, subscribe, certainly to our show, but uh, maybe a few others on the network that you find interesting. So I've got some good content there. And while you're there, you'll see something called the TPS report right up at the top in the navigation. Quick sign up. Wouldn't take but just a second. And that will get you on our list to receive an email each and every Monday morning with five articles to start your week. And uh, we promise we're not going to spam you. It's just, it's literally just that. It's just five articles to start your week. We curate those, the show hosts do, and uh, we kick that out every week. I'll tell you what, let's pause for just a second. You can jump over there, subscribe, and then we'll be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, 
and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. It's been a while, Reed, since we talked about machine learning and AI on this show, which is for those people listening in playing touchpoint bingo at home, they're missing out on, on filling in that circle or that space. That's right. Get ready. Get ready. Here we go. thought it'd be good for us to get back into and understanding where we're at an update on machine learning, artificial intelligence. And it, it becomes even more relevant today because as you think about things like the demise of third-party cookies, which we've talked about a few episodes ago, we talk about personalization. All of these things are central to a really great integrated marketing tech stack. And many of the marketing technology stacks now have machine learning and AI platforms built within them. They do. I mean, that's that's realistically how a lot of things work from a personalization standpoint. Yeah, I think this is a great topic. We've got a great, you had a chance to sit down with a good friend of the show. It's been on before, uh, Abhi uh, Sharma from over at Loyal. And so we'll hear from him in a little bit. But before we do, we've got a couple of articles to maybe jump into and talk through. The first of which is from securityboulevard.com. What's ahead for AI machine learning in healthcare? Many times when we talk about AI machine learning and healthcare, it's really focused on the clinical applications of it. And in fact, they start off in this article alluding to the fact that in 2019, the FDA released a discussion paper that was titled Proposed Regulatory Framework for Modification to AI and Machine Learning Based Software as Medical Device. This regulatory framework that they're proposing identifies the tensions between this type of software and regulatory agencies, particularly around the fact that AI machine learning, as is indicative of it, continually learns, evolves, and improves. And so we want to make sure the technology is not outpacing the regulations. Well, and this is where you talk about the clinical piece. This is a common conversation uh, in imaging in the radiology space where we see computers being able to script through large data sets, in this case, images, and could they diagnose, you know, fill in the blank uh, quicker or spot certain things uh, quicker or more efficiently or more effectively or whatever. So we're not going to get into that, but that's where you see a lot of these topics come into play. What I think it's important, though, for us to kind of hit on is three big topics that are top of mind when we talk about machine learning and AI and healthcare, and those are accountability, interpretability, and transparency. So the first one, accountability. So they talk about the fact that uh, they're, the, the accountability of machine learning allows organizations to trust. So again, if you've got some level of accountability there, you feel pretty good about what is happening, you know, just, just in, a, in a general sense around accountability, right? So that's why you have people that hold you accountable to things. And so if we have accountability built in place for, in this case, machine learning, there's more trust coming out of the back end. You know, what, what these tasks are designed for, what data sets are being used, uh, the algorithms, you know, uh, those types of things. Even gets into bias, right? And we've talked about that before. Interpretability in machine learning is to ensure that 
organizations that are using the, uh, these tools can understand why it's making that decision. So it provides that necessary context. They give an example here. If a system predicts patient discharge, it's important to understand which features led to that decision. And, and again, this is another thing that becomes very important to build that trust in these systems, particularly in when we're talking about a complex environment, such as clinical care, the more we can provide that context, the more we can trust in the outputs of these tools. Finally, the third, the third piece, the third big topic that they point out, transparency. So they say that transparency of data usage in machine learning systems allows the organizations to know where their data uh, is stored, how it's used, and really if, if it's combined with other data sets. Just take transparency out of this particular equation. It's you know it's the same thing that we talk about. You know what is happening? How am I kept up to date? How do I know this is true? It's just the idea of knowing what's going on. I think that becomes critically important because a lot of times people look at AI, machine learning, or as black box technology. These three elements of accountability, interpretability, it's hard to say, and transparency are very important if you're going to find regular usage of this in healthcare and widespread adoption. And I think these are very important in the clinical setting, but I I also feel, Reed, they apply to some of the work that you and I do in the digital marketing space. Yeah, I think so. You know, if you think about, especially these three big trends uh, or topics, those are all things that they get talked about, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you look at this next article that that you found, it's from Forbes, our friends over at Forbes. I always like <laughs> make that joke. The uh, annihilation of marketing attribution is the, uh, and what comes next is the, is the title of the article. It sounds dire, the annihilation of marketing attribution, but it is in effect dying. Marketing agencies and professionals have to realize that in the, in the upcoming sunsetting of third-party cookies, of uh, the complexity of the way we are in the in with a multi-channel or even an omni-channel approaches, we need to, as marketing professionals, prove the value and rediscover ways that we can actually look at attribution in a different way. And no big surprise, what's in the center of all of this? Machine learning and AI, right? I was going to say Google, but <laughs> well, that's. In effect, it says that. Let's let's the same go on. Difference. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's funny because they actually address Google and Facebook right away. They say the last decade of online marketing was known as the age of the algorithm, where real-time tracking and measurement on platforms like Google, Facebook, and other major sites provided us with more data and quicker than ever before. And that's led to some, you know, outcomes. The first thing it led to, and they pointed out in here, is that you know, because of that, it didn't take didn't take very long for marketing marketers uh, to start, you know, advertising, you know, sending all that money to Google and Facebook ads because they were able to, number one, target effectively, but also have all the data at their fingertips um, when, when the campaign ended. Yeah. But unfortunately, those platforms over the last 10 years now relied on some of the same frameworks and tactics behind original direct response marketing, like direct mail, as they have evolved, they've started to adopt machine learning and data science into digital advertising. And that's resulted in the channels becoming much more effective, much quicker. And so now Facebook and Google AdWords are seen as cost-effective and accessible to businesses of all different sizes. 
Yep. And because, again, you're more precise, especially for smaller businesses where it comes into play. So you're not having to compete. I understand you do compete with Target on, on some things, especially if you're going broader terms or like the topic of weight loss, for example, you know, or something like that. I think it's interesting that as we've become more sophisticated, it's, it's almost opened the gates for others that maybe couldn't have played before. But it's also made us very much focusing our budgets on these platforms. These major advertising platforms have become a significant spend of our digital advertising dollars. And so we're not diversified. And that potentially leads to some problems. Yes. And one of them, obviously, that they, the logical one that they point out here is that you know folks like Google and Facebook, they want all the control. I, like, I can't come with anybody that doesn't use Google, right? Like, I can't, you know, like, I don't know of anybody that has Yahoo even as their, like, search engine uh, or something like that. So I think, you know, we're getting more and more, you know, this getting consolidated or finding its way into one bucket, if you will. And you lose some leverage at that point. You uh, lose a lot of leverage. And by the way, no surprise, Google and Facebook have also built up strong digital agencies within them or partnerships with digital agencies. So now what's going on is they're basically getting more and more of the control. There's even some cases where Google controls the ad bids. And that's a bit of a challenge because we don't want to concede control over to these organizations. Well, what's interesting is they point out in here, and we've said this a whole bunch, you know, what we're talking about here is advertising, not marketing. And so they're talking about the the idea that brands should diversify and invest in paid and unpaid channels. And so certainly advertising, yes, but think about how you use things like, you know, they mentioned SEO, but even content strategies and things like that to supplement or work alongside what you're doing from a paid standpoint. So again, don't put everything on the paid side. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so they actually, this article outlines four things that you should ask, questions you should ask to make sure that as you're navigating away from being dependent on Google and Facebook, it'll help you be a little bit more in control of this. The first question is, how good are you at your advertising analytics? How well do you know about the domain expertise around that? If you're outsourcing all your knowledge to outside agencies, bring A little bit of that knowledge and expertise in-house because if you have to pivot to a new platform, you want to be able to understand some of the best practices around what you're doing. Well, along with those, I mean, do you have the right talent? Being able to do things in-house is going to require a certain amount of expertise. And so you you can see how these start to kind of build. Uh, And really, do you have the right consumer out there to, to be able to take advantage That customer database becomes really, really important to you as you start to look at maybe, as we alluded to a couple episodes ago, Reed, maybe we should take on, be in the business of creating our own first party data about our customers and our patients, right? So I think that's top of mind to people. But let's do this, Reed. Let's take a break here in the show. When we come back, we'll talk about how we as digital marketers can, in a realistic way, leverage some of these technologies. And we're going to turn to one of these nefarious third-party digital companies for some expertise, and that is Google. And we'll do that right when we get back. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. 
In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right, so we talked a little bit before the break about uh, trends, what's coming, things to keep in mind, certainly, uh, as it relates to uh, you know going down this path, what, what it means for marketers. And so now we're going to talk even more uh, and kind of dive in a little bit further, uh, this article from, well, the aforementioned Google. Um, so do we trust this? I'm not even sure. <laughs> it's a thing with Google.com, uh, everything a marketer needs to know about machine learning. I, I love how Google is so confident saying, here's everything you need to know. But they start off with a percentage. 85% of execs believe AI will allow their companies to obtain or sustain a competitive advantage. That's a good statement. But I'm wondering if you ask these execs what that actually means, that they might not know the details behind that. But still, uh, if you would ask me that, I would say that too. Right, Reed? Yeah, it's an easy statement to agree to. <laughs> What is that, though? What does that mean at its core? Tell us what what does that mean? And, and they kind of flesh this out, and they talk about the fact that machine learning is a way to quickly label and analyze huge data sets. So if you really kind of break it down, it's a way that a computer or a machine can go through a large set of data much quicker than a human could and, and make some sense of it. They talk about the fact that it's it's about speed and, and efficiency, and and really there's no limitation on the size of the data set. What do they say here? Here's another easy uh, statistic we can agree to. 66% of marketing leaders agree automation and machine learning will enable better focus on strategic marketing. I love that thinking. I'm, I think that might be a little optimistic, though. So anyway, they outline a few steps to getting there. And they are very clear. They say the first step that you want to take is actually taking a step back. That means right now, we're already doing a lot of the heavy lifting. We as organizations are doing a lot of the heavy lifting about integrating machine learning into marketing products. I mean, that's all that's happening, right? We see it all over to get us insights and the data without any kind of additional overhead from your team. But there are some considerations that we as marketers should prepare our organization for if we're going to start doing this and start really leveraging these tools. Yeah. And the first one's not really any different than anything else that we do in marketing, which is defining what success looks like. You have to determine, you know, what are the goals? What are we trying to track? Clearly defined goals, they say, right? Your goal or output, you know, use that as the framework. Uh, and, and what that will ultimately allow to have happen is your data scientists. I mean, we all have data scientists now, but data scientists build you know these these models uh, to identify the right data uh, and to use this, to train the model. We have to have some starting point with you know what it's trying to uh, define and measure. Absolutely, it's just like everything else, right? You got to know what you're going to do with it first. The second point is an algorithm is only as good as its data. To use machine learning effectively, you got to have the right data to solve the problem that you're trying to solve. And they underscore here, it's not just a few data points. You need a lot of data. 
it's quick for Google to say hundreds and thousands of data points. But not only that, the data has to be formatted, cleaned, organized, and you will need, as I say, two data sets, one to train the model and then one to evaluate the performance. Uh Uh-oh, it's getting complicated, Reed. Yep. It's important that, you know, we've done some of this work around uh, like online review scores and stuff like that. Well, you do it by hand. It takes a long time. And the minute you're done, it's out of date. Right. And so that's where I think you, know, you might can do some of that work to determine really what the goals are, effectiveness would be, and you know, those types of things. But this is where you can really kind of take it to the next level. The third thing that they point out in this in this section is uh, the need to assemble a diverse team with the with the right mindset. So much like we think about in the clinical environment, we need that kind of cross-functional team you know, to really ensure the success of the program. That really speaks to being able to measure it effectively, f- determining like if we're getting success, we, you need people that understand how to use these tools. That's a little bit of an easier ask than it is actually applied, but certainly if we're starting to use these more. the This Think Google article actually kind of shares ways machine learning can really improve marketing. And what's interesting about these points that they bring up here, Reed, they're seeing this from the perspective of advertising. I'm trying to contextualize a little bit broader than just the Google ad network, because that's what they're really trying to sell here. But let's, let's hit these each point, you know, each one in point here. What's the first one? Audience discovery. You really, again, once you know what you're trying to accomplish, obviously, you know, who the target is, is somewhat important. And so you've got to identify your audience, you know, machine learning, they say can help sort and analyze sources to help you learn which users are the most valuable to your services and really kind of help get the most out of your budget, showing ads to those that are most likely to use your services. Think of it as like super effective targeting, obviously. I mean, that's what this, what this is. And so you're going past a persona in most cases in, into kind of a one-to-one, you know, targeting methodology. And taking that a step further, their second point here is around machine learning helping marketers develop custom creative. I think that it's fair to say that relevant ads, relevant experiences, all of those things have a better reaction from the people that you're reaching. If you're delivering the right message to that person at the right time, then they're going to go for it, right? They're going to they're gonna more than likely respond to that that whatever that asset may be. We're now in a world where we have to create different types of advertisements or different types of marketing messaging for different people at different points in their journey. That sounds really complex. Machine learning is helping marketers deliver unique and tailored creative to customers by mapping some characteristics and intents to actually what they're trying to actually do. If, if we can use machine learning in that way, then suddenly you could build custom dynamic ad creations, which by the way, Google offers in their ad network. Third one here kind of building on the theme is uh, optimization. So, you know, they talk about the fact that people are searching more frequently and with more kind of granularity, I guess, because if you look at like what people are typing into Google, it's not one, two, three words anymore. It's, you know, they're asking a quite a sentence, you know, they're asking questions in a lot of cases. And so they talk about the fact that this is really, you know, means that it's more important now than ever to land the right bid in the search auctions. And so obviously that becomes harder and harder. There's more complexity. And, you know, that's where I think a lot of this uh, through machine learning and the targeting, et cetera, uh, really comes into play. 
And then last but not least, and I always get this point, (laughs) (laughs) measurement. Typically, you credit a conversion against the last ad or the last thing that the customer clicked on. But machine learning is used now to get into this omnichannel world. Customers and consumers are interacting with brands across a growing number of not only channels like social media, advertising, websites, etc., but also multiple different screens, right? It could be your computer, it could be your mobile phone, it could be your iPad. Machine learning is used in a way to kind of tie all of that together, try to associate devices to an individual person, and also associate various different touch points to to an individual person. This data-driven attribution uses machine learning algorithms to analyze clicks across these touch points, and then allows you to also compare click paths of customers who may have successfully done that action, like make an appointment or whatever, and then build models so that you could target others that might be on a similar journey. All of this kind of ties together and ultimately improves your measurement and your optimization as you move forward. Sounds idealistic, doesn't it? It really does. But maybe we should talk to somebody that knows more about this than us. That's a great setup. I, yeah. I, you know, here recently you had a chance to, to sit down and visit with Abhi Sharma. He's uh the one over at Loyal, Loyal Health, uh, who's been a longtime supporter and, and great friend of the show. But Avi is the one that really makes things uh, hum over there from a product standpoint and is way smarter than probably us put together, certainly in this space. And so uh, we'll take a quick pause here, but then we'll be back and uh, you'll get to hear Chris's conversation with Avi. Welcome back to the Ask the Expert segment of the podcast. And today I am delighted to have someone back on the show. You've been here a couple of times before, Avi, haven't you? I think so. Yeah. You're our resident expert on AI and machine learning because you're living that space. You live and breathe in that space. And so Reed and I are excited to have you back on that show. Welcome, Avi. Yeah, thanks. I like I like the phrase resident expert. You <laughs> found like a resident, That's but that's my wife, not me. <laughs> Well, maybe we could get you a little tiny like identity badge that's branded with a Touchpoint Media Network or something. So, but hey, Avi, there are people that are listening in that might be new to the show and not have heard you before. Would you mind giving a little brief background on you yourself and the company you work with? Yeah, sure. Avi Sharma, I'm our chief product officer here at Loyal Health. So, Loyal Health, we are in the patient engagement space. Um, we sell to large hospitals and health systems, and we kind of focus on Everything from finding doctors and providers to accessing care to getting into the building and then post-care, like, hey, following up and, and answering questions. So we, we provide a, a kind of a, a whole host of solutions around that. Um, that's just a little bit about us and about myself. Um, I'm a software developer by trade, so I was an engineer in my past life, and uh, I, was, I helped start Loyal from the very beginning, so entering year six. So. Cool. Wow. And, you know, one of the things that you're the resident expert on, Avi, <laughs> is artificial intelligence and machine learning. And, and the reason why is, is that you as a software developer have uh, been creating a lot of solutions out there that are being used by hospitals and health systems across the country. The whole area or discipline around AI and machine learning 
hasn't been around all the time that you've been in in this space. So I'd love to get your perspective on how did you get into AI? How did you get into machine learning? It seems like an interesting little area to get into. Oh, by accident. Just like <laughs> <laughs> I've always been a big proponent of of solving problems, right? And when we were as as engineers, as developers, we we aim to solve problems. And I think in the the past ten years, I'd say, you know, even back before we started Loyal, there was a, a lot a pretty big development, especially with cloud, in being able to run statistical models with computer science. And really that's kind of all that machine learning is. It's it's statistics married with computer science. And AI, machine learning, I think the terminology can sometimes be confusing, but the kind of the way that I think about it is, is it um, something that a human would do? And now can a machine do it? And if yes, I kind of, I'm like, yeah, it's kind of intelligent. And, and that's kind of how I picture it. I'm not too um, opinionated about the, the phrase or the term. I think it's definitely challenging, right? Like it, if you, if you think about just like self-driving cars. I mean, people would say, oh yeah, that's AI. But I mean, we've had like like lane-assisted technology for a long time, but that's also kind of AI, you know? And so it's just a matter of com- comfortability from a human perspective. And for us, you know, it, it all starts with solving a problem. And when we started Loyal and one of the, our first products, which is called Guide, it, it was a chat bot. And chatbots, if you think about what they really are, is it's basically a conversation with a <laughs> with a bot. And conversations are tough, right? You have to understand what the intention is of, of who you're talking to, uh, what they're trying to get out of you from an information standpoint. And so we realized in healthcare, people have a lot of questions. There aren't always humans to answer those questions. And there's variability in how you know users ask questions. And so what a great problem for machine learning to solve. Like let's build um, some technology that can do what in the in the AI space is called natural language understanding. Like NL, you'll hear that term quite a bit, or natural language processing, kind of a, a similar term. And that was kind of the start of it. And I still am a big believer. I mean, I think I still think we're scratching the surface on conversational interfaces helping automate a lot of the stuff that we do in healthcare, whether that's booking appointments or asking questions about finding a doctor or any other myriad number of questions you know a patient may have as they're kind of going through the the care journey. The opportunity to kind of inject that experience and be there. So. Now it's a matter of saying, okay, does my bot have the right information to answer questions properly? Can I make that experience better by integrating into the core systems that exist, you know, at the health system level or at the hospital or in the clinic setting? You know, I think it's interesting too, as you're, as you're describing that in my mind, I was thinking about, you know, the role of AI I know AI is used in multiple different ways, right? In in multiple different disciplines, even in healthcare, there's like sort of the clinical applications as opposed to applications that are more related to task oriented type of things. Putting that in the context of like the patient and the patient experience, 
Something I've, I've said since I started in this space many, many years ago, people interact with digital marketing, quote unquote, like websites and social media and whatever, all of the things. They're not doing it in healthcare specifically for like open-ended research, for example. Many of them are on like specific tasks, right? They're trying to accomplish things. We talk about that, you know, as like, it's very, it's a very task oriented. When you look at a hospital website, the the top things they're doing is they're there to search for specific things. They're not just kind of randomly searching for things. And I think that that's a really strong use case for the role of AI and machine learning, because isn't that really kind of the focus of what it is? It's to start to understand the intent of a user and using machine learning to connect that with that action. Is that a fair way to kind of look at it? No, that's right. And what's interesting too there is, I I think the hard thing for people is like, okay, yes, I want to do that. (laughs) You know, like I want to do that. Now the question is how? (laughs) And I think, you know, the devil is in the details around, do I have the capabilities to enable that kind of experience? And it takes time and it takes a commitment to say, I'm going to build this experience. And there may be some stumbling blocks, right? Um, Because I don't have all the connected integration points. But your, you know, data, data is everything in machine learning. And so if you don't even start, there's no data to even improve. So I think if you can get bought in on the idea of can I can I like automate these tasks that have been very predefined in the past and maybe I can make them a bit more flexible and the experience can be a bit more seamless in the future? And in the short term, can I do that? Can I start that experience and start gathering data? Uh, it's, it's kind of where you have to, you have to start. It's, there's no perfect start. You know? There's no implementation of, of ML or AI. It's, it's just a challenge. Yeah, and that really kind of leads to the fact that there are probably very specific use cases that we're seeing hospitals and health systems apply AI and machine learning in the current state, right? In the current day to day. Because, you know, it isn't like we're, we're suddenly having a, a, you go to a hospital website, you know, generalhospital.org, and suddenly you just have an AI chatbot saying, what do you want to do? Because that's just too hard of a task for it to accomplish. I don't think our data is structured in a way. I'm speaking maybe generally for all hospitals, but I don't think we're at that point yet. The the way you're seeing it applied and through your product guide kind of implies that you're guiding them to accomplish certain things. So what are you seeing like some of the more common tasks that we're trying to help customers coming to our websites do? It could almost be anything, which is crazy to think about, but it's it's almost like if you were sitting here saying where can machine learning be used for me? Just think about all of the human operations that currently exist across your you know, operation. And if a human is touching it and doing something about it, you may want to say, can a machine do this? And here's a good example. Cap surveys, right? Everyone has to do cap surveys. Most everyone has to do cap surveys. Um, HCAP, CGCAPs, you're surveying the patient post-care about how their experience was. And sometimes people leave comments. And in in past you know, surveys, you know, you, you tried to do sentiment analysis, right? It's like, hey, I'm trying to understand was this a positive 
sentiment or negative sentiment. And what's funny is that's a terrible way to think about comments <laughs> because people are, it's not, it's not binary. It's not negative or positive. It's nuanced. Like if you think about it, a comment could be, well, my doctor was incredible. She listened to me and had a great experience, but I waited way too long and my staff, the staff there were terrible, but you know, they accepted my insurance and that was great. I, I didn't pay anything. You have, that is a complex comment. And so in machine learning, there's actually a way, <laughs> there's a way to do this because as a human, you can read that comment and say, okay, well, doctor's great. Staff is terrible. Wait time's terrible. Billing is great. And you can kind of easily you know, separate those things. And in in um, machine learning, we have a, a concept called aspect-based sentiment analysis, which really what it does is it takes an aspect of a sentence, of, of like an entire comment, and it break, breaks those things down into aspects. And then it says, okay, what's the opinion of this aspect, right? Like you're talking about the doctor. What's the opinion of that doctor? And then you get a pair, what we call a tuple. In programming, it's like a pair of, of all of these aspects and opinions and then you can generate scores against them. So then you can do things like, okay, let's let me understand all of the comments around, you know, wait time, and let me assess those and and like actually extract those things out. Because sometimes wait time might be embedded inside of a larger comment. See that or skip that. And then you could do things, right? So from a marketing perspective, then you could do those things where you on the flip side, you take those same aspects and you put them on the website and say hey do you want to see this provider's reviews by bedside manner you click bedside manner and you get a filtered set of reviews and what's cool about that is you can then highlight the, the app and so this is what amazon already does right? you may not realize that that's machine learning behind the scenes but that's what it is like because it's it's allowing you to categorize things Without human intervention, that is a well, used to be a very human intervention task. And like you know, go talk to go talk to your patient experience folks who are dealing with reviews and comment reviews, and and you'll see that they're doing this kind of stuff. And so it's it's really interesting because I think we're going to see like a permeation of machine learning just across a lot of different spectrums. But at the end of the day, it's going to end up affecting the website and and marketing in general because you can always bring it back to it. You know, what's interesting when you describe that example, Avi, I, it, it's fascinating how, first of all, you kind of diagnose like how the machine can understand and interpret different aspects of a complex comment, which, by the way, harken back to my elementary school days when I'm learning sentence structure, right? And nouns and verbs and things like that. That's like sort of that natural language processing part of the aspect here. But what I loved is how you kind of walked us through about how that could be very applicable for future usage by other patients. Because I never even thought about, you could then now say, filter doctors by bedside manner or filter practices by parking costs or something like that, right? I mean, there could be a many different multitudes of things that kind of relate to that patient's experience that suddenly you can surface and make that much more meaningful for them. And if you think about the way that now what you're doing is you're structuring data with machine learning. So you can 
maybe in your find a doc be like, you know, doctors with great bedside manner could become a search, right? Because you're doing a search, but you're adding that filter component to it. And I'm just extracting that out from the search query. It's, it's all got to tie in together. So that's crazy. That kind of blows my mind a little bit to think about that because we've been struggling with the age and I still see it on every hospital website, right? It's like when you get to a point where you start to go into a directory search or even navigating through a website, there's certain things that we go back to that are just natural things. That's the most we could do with structured data. With AI and machine learning, you could suddenly really democratize the structured content in a way that you can make many different experiences happen based on what your customers or your users' needs are at that particular point in time. And that's ultimately what we're trying to accomplish by using these tools, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's not a silver bullet. And you know this, and I think a lot of other people do understand the intuition of it's not a silver bullet. But, like, you know, if you see a search field on a, on a health system website, um, I think users today aren't comfortable typing in maybe like really natural language queries because nothing's going to come out of it, right? So I think first you have to be able to prove that you can, you know, actually return results on kind of a complex query. But then hopefully the idea is people are going to respond to that, you know, and then as humans, we're, we're quick learners. So you'll start to see more complex queries come through and then you'll start to learn even more structured data because you'll say, whoa, someone asked a question about X and I didn't expect that. And now I, now I can. And so you start to, you know, again, everything permeates, but you got to get started first. Right, right, exactly. But, you know, that promise of like that user-centered design, which we're all really trying to accomplish as digital creators, I should say, right? I'm not sure the right term, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to create the most empathetic and useful design. And when people come to our sites and now you can using tools like chats or or just the way people interact you know through machine learning you could start to parse out some of their unique differentiators about what they're what they're really interested in not just what we're measuring this kind of is like to me it's a promise of user-centered design in these tools it can provide you that feedback absolutely you know and i know i'm, I'm biased here because i'm a i'm our chief yeah <laughs> and you have a team you know so many people have teams at, at hospitals and health systems I'd love to see more product managers or product designers on, on health system, you know, payroll, because I, I think um, getting folks like that who care about the experience and ask those tough questions that are challenging, like, hey, what are we doing here? I think it benefit everyone involved. It could benefit folks like us on the vendor side. And we're like, okay, yeah, you're right. Like, you get to see things that we don't and help us understand more. And on the same, on the flip side, it's, you know, health systems, hospitals, they get to think about their technology as one of their core pieces of functionality because, boy, that's where we're headed, right? Everything's virtual, everything's digitized, and that's not going away. So more and more going to be that way. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see PMs and PDs just um, kind of be a bigger, a bigger voice in the room. Because it, it suddenly ties together the experience almost as like a product, right? I know that in healthcare, we always think about like our, you know, the the procedure that you're doing or the doctor that you're doing is our, is our product. But really the product in many cases, in my mind, is that overall experience to lead you there as well. And that's a big part 
of of all of that, which is interesting. I bet in the work that you do, you also spend a lot of time with people that are not digital marketers, that are people on the back end, right? People that work with the EMRs and the EHR, uh, you know, the electronic health records uh, on the IT side. Because the way these solutions are now, you're you're able to bridge gaps, which before there's been big, huge technology hurdles. You know, we're definitely talking to to more and more people across the board, right? And I think everything is everything in the patient journey is part of the experience and to try to silo them out is not i don't think in my view a good idea for the optimal experience have you heard of uh, github autopilot it's a new it's a new thing that github released that almost predicts the code you want to write there's a developer who got early access and he he starts writing code and he's like okay you know, I'm going to write this like area function, which just takes like, you know, X times Y and gives me that. So he writes the description of the function and autopilot just populates the code. I don't, we're not going to get, you know, as software developers, I think people saw that and they're like, oh my gosh, there goes my job kind of thing. You know, I think many times physicians think the same thing, right? They, they think that by letting a robot, you know, run a scan for them, that um, you know the radiologist's job is going away, and I would argue that that's not the case. Um, you know, the the radiologist just becomes um, a more skilled professional because there are always errors. You know, in in any kind of technology, there's always errors. So catching those errors is probably more important of a job than actually the the reading and the diagnostic of you know the, the x-ray of the image and so i think that's a um a challenge for us is getting other folks comfortable i think honestly marketing is very comfortable with, with machine learning um i think it's the other aspects <laughs> other folks who you know just feel a little bit more comfortable with what they're doing um i think they are i think they're coming around to it i think they see it um, but just kind of educating and, and getting people. I've often over the last year and a half have been talking about the changes the pandemic has had to us as a culture. I think one of the things it has done is it has kind of advanced this concept that technology could actually be very useful and not in a way where it replicates humans, right? In the way that it can actually help you accomplish tasks much more easier, Telehealth is a great example of that, right? Telehealth is just really automating the the medium in which you can connect with your care provider. I still know that humans are going to be in the middle of the patient experience. They have to. You always have to have your fail safe. No matter how sophisticated your AI could be, it won't be able to answer all the nuances of all the questions. You always need your fail safe to talk to someone. So I would imagine that you're seeing that as well, right? You You kind of have to almost create these experiences where it's part it's like a hybrid, right? Part technology and part human. Absolutely. And I, I think in other ways too, we are, and on our, on our side, we have so many interesting ideas and concepts. And again, this is kind of focused on marketing, but there is a, another division or another subset of, of machine learning or artificial intelligence called reinforcement learning. And reinforcement learning is really interesting because the objective of your your reinforcement learning model is you define it a reward 
And then you just let that thing run with it. And what's really cool, if you think about that, and I say, okay, what's what do I have from like a hospital or health system side that is a reward? And one thing I could think of is like filling appointments that come up that are available. So think about a scenario where you implement a reinforcement learning model that says, if there's available inventory, start spending my ad dollars more. Oh, wow. And if there's... If there's, if I start to fill up the appointments, right, my reward is is decreased, or like you know, it's actually satisfied. Then like you know, it kind of dials back automatically. And what's super interesting about that is it's actually already there in other industries. You'll hear of like robo powered um, money managers or wealth managers. They're just like, hey, give me five hundred dollars, and I'm just going to like invest your dollars for you. And there's not a human behind it. So they can charge you nothing, right? It's like a zero dollars to get it started. And it's like, you used to have to go to like a wealth manager and they would have to assess the market and then like define you as an individual and what your risk profile is and do all of this stuff. And basically they're reinforcement models just as humans. And we could do that same kind of approach here in healthcare. Um, we got to pick the right problems. Like not every problem deserves you know, the same kind of model interpretation. But, you know, that's something that we're we're starting to look at into and say, how do we do that correctly? And of course it's again, you have to get you have to get um, IT involved because you, you need the connection to your appointments. You have to get you certainly have to get clinicians involved because they have to be willing to open up their calendars. And and then of course um, you need to be able to test it. And, and see how it works, right? You don't want to run away Google Ads campaign. Right. But boy, man, that concept just kind of blew my mind to think about tying in appointment availability to increasing your ad spend for primary care. That would be tremendously powerful to do. Wow. I just think about that. That's, that could, there could be so many opportunities that you could look at. Gosh, every time I talk to you, Avi, it's like you blow my mind at least two or three times. That's why you're our resident expert on this on this topic. So Avi, you know, there are people listening in that may want to know more about you and about Loyal. What's a good way for them to uh to to learn more? Uh yeah, loyalhealth.com, probably the best place to go for for learning more about Loyal and Loyal Health. So that's just L-O-Y-A-L. Um, health.com. And then about me, boy, I'm one of those people who's like not on social media, but I am um, but I am on LinkedIn, you know. So just, uh, you know, if you search for me, uh, you will find me. Well, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile on uh, on our show notes so people can go through and find out more about you and connect with Loyal and find out some of the, the cool things. It sounds like you're up to some really interesting things. And it's just amazing. We have to have you back on again real soon. Anytime. Anytime. Thank you so much, man. Thanks, Chris. All right. Well, special thanks to Abby for coming on the show. Certainly appreciate his time and expertise. And uh, I know we've had him on before, but it's it's been too long. So uh, really appreciate really appreciate him and all the all the folks over at Loyal for supporting the show through the years. Another quick plug for the TPS report. So Touchpoint.health up in the top navigation, you'll see TPS report. Click on that. Subscribe. You'll get an email each and every Monday morning. Five articles to start your week. 
Uh, also down at the bottom of that, I will say there are a few quick links to upcoming conferences, education webinars, that kind of stuff that you might find of interest. So a great resource to uh, to kick the week off. Certainly, if there's any any topics, anybody that we should uh, connect with, we'd love to hear from you, Twitter, LinkedIn, all that kind of fun stuff. And before we close up the show, uh, I'll do a couple of recommendations. What uh, what do you have today, Chris? Reed, I had the, the pleasure of going to a Twins game this uh, last yeah. weekend. Okay. Yeah, Minnesota Twins. Um, they lost, and it was a rainy day. That doesn't sound appealing, but I'm going to make a recommendation for anybody here in America to, if you can, this summer, get out and watch a ball game. I'm not a big sports guy, but I'm telling you, the experience of going to a ball game, it could be, you know, professional or even your small, you know, little leagues, whatever. Just getting out in the stands, watching a baseball game, there's something about it. It doesn't hurt to have a beer in your hand, maybe some peanuts, or maybe a a plastic baseball cap full of nachos or ice cream. There you go. But just sitting there watching a game, getting into it with a bunch of fans, it's a lot of fun. Again, I'm not a big sports guy. You know, I don't I don't have any sports paraphernalia around the house or anything like that. But I always enjoy going to a game because it's just a lot of fun. So my recommendation is this summer, if you can, get out there, go see a baseball game. It's It just seems like the right thing to do. It is the right thing to do. That's a great recommendation. All right, so my recommendation is uh, if you happen to be staying in, or maybe before or after the ball game. Amazon Prime, most people have it. Uh, I mean, you have Prime Video and as a streaming service. The last and final season seven of Bosch is out. Oh. And I've just started. I really haven't, haven't gotten very far into it, but I've enjoyed seasons one through six. Uh, it's kind of right up my alley as far as uh, genre goes. I like the, the detective cop, uh, really more detective-based shows. But anyway... So yeah, season seven is is out of Bosch, and it's the last one. I heard some relatives talking about it over the 4th of July weekend and how much they really enjoyed it. So that's a good recommendation. I have yet to see one episode of Bosch. I think I better add that to my queue, huh? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, a, it's good. You, you'll enjoy it. So, Well, there you go. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for uh, telling a friend. That's the number one way we continue to grow the show and certainly appreciate all of uh, your support through the years. Rate, review, subscribe wherever you happen to be listening. And I would love to hear from you, Twitter, LinkedIn, or really any, any way that you can track us down. So for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.